0: Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Ritchie. We got a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day. We have Maria Inojosa, founder and president, Futuro Media. This is going to be quite interesting because I love everything this sister says. Also, debate segment, guess what? He canceled. So we're gonna have a dynamic replay. Him got scared at the last minute. That's what I'm saying until he comes to the show and actually honors his scheduled commitment. Okay, top story of the day. There's a, there's a Georgia sheriff, elected sheriff, who was at a sheriff's convention, who decided to sexually harass, fundle the breast of a judge in the Atlanta area in front of other cops. He doesn't get arrested. He doesn't get charged with a crime until weeks later, because the judge would not drop it. Let's put up his picture. His name is Sheriff Christopher Cody. There he is. This Georgia sheriff now has a warrant out for his arrest. He is a fugitive. He has not turned himself in based on the latest information we have. A Georgia sheriff is being accused of sexual battery after an incident that took place in Cobb County, Georgia last month. A warrant has been issued as of last Friday for the Bleckley County Sheriff Christopher Cootie, for an incident that happened on January 18th, all right? Now, he was in another county, so he's the sheriff of a South Georgia County called Bleckley. He was up toward North Georgia, In a county called Cobb for a sheriff's convention. So, literally, there are cops everywhere during this moment. None of them arrested the sheriff. The Cobb County Police Department said investigators were notified about the incident, which happened at the Renaissance Atlanta Waverly located at 2450 Galleria Parkway the day after according to the warrant. Sheriff Coody placed his hand on the breast of the victim without her consent. Investigators said the warrant was taken out after speaking to several witnesses. Now, this is a black woman. White sheriff goes to another county for a cop conference. He sees a judge, he may know her, may not, I don't know. But he grabs her breast according to the witnesses, okay? He gets to leave. And the truth is Cobb County, after they slow poked the investigation, they then secretly put out a warrant. Nobody knew this guy had a warrant out of his arrest. Do you think he turned himself in? No, he is still a fugitive from justice. So from this day forward, I don't want anybody to tell me I'm anti police. I'm only anti bad cop because right now we're going to help the police find the sheriff that is a fugitive from justice. Let's put up a picture of the chief of police for Cobb County. They are now in charge of this investigation. That is the interim chief, Scott Hamilton. We're going to help out Chief Hamilton. Cobb County Jail online records do not show an arrest report for Sheriff Cootie, so we assume he has not been apprehended. In a statement released on Wednesday, Cobb County Police wrote in part, this remains an active sexual battery investigation. And we will not be offering any additional statements or providing any on camera interviews. The Blackley County Sheriff's Office responded Thursday with his own statement in writing. Now, before I read what the sheriff's office said, before I read that, let me remind everyone: Cobb County Police came out basically saying, you know, we know it's a big deal, but we're not going to make a big deal out of it. We know what happened. There's an arrest warrant. We're not going to do any media. We're not talking to any reporters. We're not going to do that. You do that for everybody else. You hold a press conference. This is a position of high public public trust. And he did it to a judge. And you're telling us, well, we're not, we're not going to make it newsworthy. We're not doing a press conference. That's it. One statement. That's all you get from us. Okay. The Blackley County Sheriff's Office. This is their statement. Is aware of the outstanding warrant regarding our sheriff, Sheriff Coody. Sheriff Coody is currently participating. In a church-sponsored mission trip outside of the state of Georgia that has been scheduled for nearly a year. So he's on the run. He's a fugitive from justice. Okay, here's what I want you to do, uh, since you all are so willing to cooperate with the investigation. Can you tell us the name of the retreat, perhaps an address? Hmm? You know, they can pick him up. They do pick people up in other states for sexual assault crimes. So, according to the narrative from the Sheriff's Office, hey, you know, our sheriff is aware, but unfortunately, he's just unavailable. He's with the Lord on a missions trip. Sheriff Cootie has been in law enforcement for more than two decades and has tremendous respect for our court system, according to the sheriff's office. He is taking these allegations seriously and will meet with the appropriate authorities as soon as he returns. They give no date. They provide no context for that. Just you know, when he comes back, he'll deal with this. I guarantee you right now. You know what Black, what sheriff is doing? The sheriff of Blackley. He's using all of his back channels trying to get them to drop this warrant. He's probably in the state of Georgia, by the way. Okay. Uh, The Blackley County Sheriff's Office has always and will continue to believe in complete transparency according to them. However, we will not comment any further on the, wait a minute. You sound like the investigative body. That's exactly what the agency of cops said, who's investigating your sheriff. Did you all get your stories together before releasing these separate releases from each of your department? We will not be commenting any further. On these pending criminal charges to allow the investigation to continue without interference. Sheriff Coody will provide more information at a later date as he is able to do so. We appreciate your questions and your concerns and understand your request for information. Thank you for your support and patience. I, I do not support you and I have no patience for you. Lock his ass up, okay? He fondled the breast of a black woman who's an Atlanta area judge. And you all let him leave your county, shame on you. Let's put up a picture of the guy in charge of the Sheriff's Association. Jay Terry Norris is the executive director for the Georgia Sheriff's Association. Jay released a statement. The statement says, and I quote, The members of the Georgia Sheriff's Association are aware of an incident of reported misdemeanor sexual battery that has resulted in a warrant being issued in Cobb County for the arrest of Sheriff Christopher Coody of Blackley County. The reported incident occurred after hours during the time of a scheduled annual training event not planned or sponsored by the Georgia Sheriff's Association. The association has no firsthand knowledge of the facts surrounding the reported incident and directs all incident related questions to the investigative agency. All right. Nobody has said anything about the victim here. Okay. Maria, what are your thoughts on this story? Thank you, Rashad for having me. Um, for that's exactly here. what
1: I was thinking. I, I was you know, thinking about the judge who had to go through something like this. The fact that she's a judge in Georgia, a black woman. Yep. Um, and, and the sense of just feeling completely unprotected. It's like the hypocrisy and the duality and the horror of the United States all in one because she's a judge. Yep. She has power and yet vis-a-vis the police, uh, it appears that she doesn't have that much power. So what makes me think is just like the backside of all of what happens in the police. Um, I'm watching a TV show, it's called Hightown. It has to do with Provincetown, very far away from Georgia. But it has to do, you get an inside look at how the police work and know each other and how they make deals and they believe, as in this case, frankly, that they are above the law, and that they will be able to pull out. You know, well, you owe me this, so therefore you need to drop the. Charge. That's what's going on right now. You're exactly mm-hmm. right, Rashad. There's there's all kinds of negotiations about. Well, wait, we, we, we know this about you, and we know this, and if we reveal that, we're going to reveal this. So it's just uh, quite horrible, and I feel terrible for for the judge. Um, as a survivor myself, um, it's horrible, and to feel that it was. It happens. Whenever it happens, it's horrible. Yeah. If it happens from a member of law enforcement, that's how we feel incredibly vulnerable and exposed and it's wrong. So I am 100% behind what you're saying, which is as citizens, we have to hold
0: these people accountable. Got to hold them accountable. I am withholding the name of the judge because she is a victim of sexual assault. I do know the judge and frankly, many of you, Know the judge as well. It will come out later during the process of justice here. There's a cop who shoots a black man during a no knock warrant. The man isn't even listed on the warrant. This happened early Wednesday morning, Minneapolis police entered an apartment. And in the seconds that followed a black man asleep, and shown holding a gun that he legally had a right to have. He was then shot and killed. Here's some of the video. very difficult to watch. The cop is Mark Hanneman. He shot Amir Locke during a no knock warrant. The video was released at multiple speeds, one version in real time. You saw that and then you saw the slowdown version. Now, according to the family's attorney, Amir was not listed on the warrant. Family attorneys and the city identify the man who was shot Wednesday as this young brother. Let's put up his picture, Amir Locke. Not only is he dead, but those that would have come because because of his lineage are dead. His future children are dead. His children's children are dead. His children's children's children are dead. When you kill, a human being, you kill a significant bloodline that will now never exist. They are all dead now because of this cop. Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman announced Friday that they have now requested the Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison to join in the review of this shooting. According to Freeman in a statement, he said, and I quote, we will be working with the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension to ensure a thorough and complete evaluation happens. Thereafter, we will decide together based on the law and evidence where the criminal charges should be brought. This fatal shooting brings the use once again of no knock warrants into scrutiny. Some of you are saying, wait a minute, doc, I thought we dealt with this the last time we had an incident in Minnesota. Well, you did in a way, in May of 2020, the Minneapolis Police Department officers were involved in the killing of George Floyd before later being fired and charged in his death. The national coverage over the killings of Floyd and Breonna Taylor, who was shot by police in Kentucky as they performed A no-knock warrant entry led to sustained protests and calls for police reform. That summer, the Minneapolis police announced a new policy on no-knock warrants. This was inclusive of the city government aimed at limiting the likelihood of bad outcomes. Officials said the officers would be required to announce their presence and purpose before entering except in hostage situations. Jeff Storms, let's go to Jeff. One of the Locke family attorneys said to CNN and I quote, to the best of my knowledge, he meaning Mr. Locke was not named in any of the search warrants. He was not even a target. The city of Minneapolis told the public, that it was limiting the use of no-knock warrants to limit the likelihood of bad outcomes. Less than two years later, Amir Locke and his family needlessly suffered the worst possible outcome. Our city has to do better. It gets deeper, there's more. During a press conference late Thursday, interim police chief Amelia Huffman said, and I quote, at this point, it's unclear for how he, Locke, Mr. Locke, is connected to St. Paul's investigation. These events unfold in seconds, but the trauma is long lasting. A young man lost his life and his friends and family are in mourning. The initial release from authorities said, and I quote, officers encountered a male who was armed with a handgun pointed in the direction of officers. Officer Mark Henneman, as identified by the city of Minneapolis, then shot at and hit Locke. The police department says aid was immediately provided as the officers carried him down to the lobby to meet the paramedics. People deserve due process. According to every report we have, Mr. Locke was not listed on the warrant. He was not their target. But even if he was, this is the reality of the conversation. They are still in violation of departmental policy. That policy has now been active for two years, they are in violation of that. And number two, due process has been eliminated and due process is a constitutional right. Okay, let's put up a picture of the uh, interim police chief. Because they're not providing a picture of the cop who actually did the killing. All right, so when they play hide the pickle, we got a game for them. Mr. Log was taken to the Hennepin County Medical Center where he died. Henneman has been placed on administrative leave, the police officer. As is policy pending an ongoing investigation, a spokesperson for the city said, CNN has attempted to reach Officer Henneman. And has reached out to the Minneapolis Police Federation for comment, but none has come and none will come by the way, they're not going to comment on this. Uh, Benjamin Crump said, Benjamin Crump is a good friend of mine. He said, and I quote, Locke, who who has several family members in law enforcement and no past criminal history, legally possessed a firearm at the time of his death. Like the case of Breonna Taylor, the tragic killing of Amir Locke shows a pattern of no-knock warrants having deadly consequences for black Americans. Now, let me bring some common sense to this conversation about no-knock warrants. The policy in Minneapolis makes sense, the written policy makes sense. But remember, culture will eat policy alive any day. The policy says stop no knock warrants except if there's a hostage, active hostage situation. Okay, you may have to sneak up on somebody, we get that. You can't announce yourself in a hostage situation. But let's be very clear here, okay? This is criminal, this is criminal. Just because a gun and a badge is involved, does not make it legal, does not make it right, does not make it righteous. And here's the other side of the coin. Why aren't members of law enforcement fighting for these common sense policies? Because the truth is, if you startle somebody, wanted or not wanted, on the warrant or not on the warrant, if you kick in their door, they are going to shoot first and ask questions later. And damn it, I know I would, if somebody came in my home, Kicked in my door, my family is here, they're going to get the business. I don't know who you are, I don't know why you've kicked in my door. It doesn't make sense that this is an argument, that this is a debate. You don't give people the opportunity to even consider what in the hell is happening in their homes. This was a lawful gun owner, you think, the National Rifle Association you think they're going to come out and defend this brother? Hmm? Of course not. He doesn't fit the narrative. Maria, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Um,
0: you know, it's just
1: again we're kind of talking about the sheriff, law enforcement, their sense that they're above the law, and you think about as you're saying and as you were saying, Rashad, I was like. Right now, I'm in my home. It's a tiny little home. We happen to be in the country right now, outside of New York City. But either in New York City where I live in Harlem or I'm here in Connecticut in my small home. You're right, if the door comes open, we are not going to wait to hear what that person who just busted into our house is saying. My husband is certainly not going to wait. So you have to think about logic, which is right, you're right. In a hostage situation, okay, you're not going to announce yourself. But other than that, why is it that due process is being denied so easily? And I remind you just to make a connection that I think is always super important. <clears throat> this young man, Mr. Locke was denied all of his due process and shot without even a chance. If you are not born in this country, you are denied due process every time you engage right. with law enforcement because you are put taken into immigration. And there is no due process there. So we have to make these connections. What happened to this young man, Mr. Locke, in his bedroom in Minnesota with a registered gun being denied and ultimately murdered. But denied his due process for anything is connected to what's happening everywhere in our country where immigrants, many of them black, are also being denied due process simply because
0: they were not born in this country. I'm so glad you made the connection because it permeates (coughs) from a similar culture that says we deserve to be here, you do not. And that ideology is what we are attempting to deconstruct and eliminate from our societal construct. Okay, let me bring you to the land of a ridiculous thing that has happened to a black woman, she gets six years over a voting error. A Memphis woman, has been sentenced to six years in prison for illegally registering to vote due to errors made by state officials, okay? She's a Black Lives Matter activist, let's put up a picture. Her name is Pamela Moses, Pamela Moses is a Black Lives Matter activist, was convicted in November of registering to vote in 2019 while on probation for a conviction in 2015. The 2015 conviction caused her to lose her voting rights in Tennessee. But state officials knowingly conceded to a series of errors about her voting eligibility. Moses said she was not made aware of her eligibility. She said, and I quote, they never mentioned anything about voting. Moses said about her guilty plea nearly seven years ago. They never mentioned anything about not voting, not being able to vote, none of that. Remember, she pled guilty back then, they didn't tell her you'll never be able to vote again, okay? Election officials should have removed her from the voting rolls. That's one of the statutory requirements, but the court never sent the official documents. And Moses was never made aware that anything was wrong until she decided to run for mayor. She decided to run for mayor. Keep in mind what's happening here. You have a Black Lives Matter activist. She has had some unfortunate run ins with law enforcement. She has redeemed herself. She has now become part of the change machine in her local community and she decides to run for mayor. No one told her she can't do this. No one told her she's unable to vote, ineligible to register because of clerical errors by the court and then by the state, so she engages in good faith to run for political office. That's when election officials notified Miss Moses whose defamation win over a county official was overturned last year on the technicality. That her name could not appear on the ballot because of her previous felony conviction. And that they also discovered she had never been removed from the voter rolls. She went to court and asked the judge to clarify whether she was still on probation and the court confirmed that she was. But Moses did not believe the judge had correctly calculated the time for her sentence. Moses went to the local probation office to get the matter sorted out. And an officer signed a certificate stating that her probation in fact was ended and she then submitted that certification to the local election officials. This is a responsible person going through the process of correcting, providing remedy to the mistake that she believes has has happened. However, guess what happened after they signed the certificate? The next day, an official at the corrections department notified election officials that a probation officer made an error on the certificate and said Moses was still serving on active felony probation and was ineligible to vote. Let's put up a picture of the local prosecutor, her name is Amy. Amy trumpeted both the conviction and the sentence. She told jurors that Moses knew she was ineligible to vote when she submitted the certificate. Wait a minute, she gets a legitimate certificate from an official of the government saying, no, what ma'am, you're actually correct and the judge is wrong. You're right based on what you said. You came to the probation office, we're gonna clear it up for you. Here it is, sign certificate, you're no longer on probation, go vote, go run for office, okay? She gets it, it's a setup, it's a setup. She gets the certificate, she brings it to the state, she files it, she continues to run the next day. Moses maintained she thought her voting rights had been restored during sentencing. I did not falsify anything. All I did was try to get my rights to vote back the way the people at the election commission told me and the way the clerk did, she said. But that set off the judge, let's put up a picture of the judge, okay? That set off the judge, Mark Ward is his name, who was sentencing Moses. Saying and I quote You tricked the probation department into giving you documents saying you are off probation. How in the hell do you trick? You can't trick no damn probation officer. So this judge, probation officer see everything. You can't pull nothing over on the probation officer. So this judge gets upset because the woman tells the truth. She says, "Listen, this is what happened. Here's the certificate. I submitted it. I did not know I was ineligible. Here's the proof of my of my process and why I thought it was okay. And the reason why this is important, ladies and gentlemen, is because based on the statute of their state, she has to prove the prosecutor has to prove malicious intent. So you can't just prove the behavior. You have to also prove that there was intent to defraud." There was intent to vote knowing that you did not have the right to do so. Blair Bowie, a campaign legal center attorney said, and I quote, this seems absurd to me on his face. The instructions on the certificate of restoration form are very clear to the probation officer or the clerk. They say you will check these records and you will sign off on this based on what the records say. They're saying that she tricked The probation officer into filling this out, this form for her. That creates a really scary prospect for people who think they're being wrongly told they're not eligible. She got six years. Six years. Maria, what are your thoughts on this one?
1: You know, I kind of come down to the basics, which is that. Uh, The state has spent so much time and money and effort to deny a black woman Mm. a chance to vote or a chance to participate in democracy. Even though she was participating in democracy as a protester as part of the Black Lives Matter movement. But that in essence, what they have done is to deny democracy. And so, when we're thinking about ways in which the vote, access to the vote is being curtailed, in which at every point, right, which is the essence of why we are losing our democracy as we speak. And then you think about the fact that they are so targeted. While you were talking, Rashad, I have to say, I felt like I was watching a Hollywood movie, mm. you know, just like this crazy kind of narrative. That only it's just completely crazy that something like this would happen. And actually somebody should make a movie about this because it's ridiculous. And we have to again go back to the larger issue, which is the narrative about fraud occurring in our voting system is false. They have to have a scapegoat, they have to be able to show. And that's where this case comes in. This is the scapegoat. Even though they went through so many efforts to basically catch her, as you said, they set her up. Yeah. And, you know, there's just no way to, you know, the whole thing about, well, we've got a, there's so much fraud in the system, and everybody's like, there's no fraud. This is the only way that they can hold up a case and
0: say, you see, this is why. So I,
1: I'm assuming that there will be an appeal, and I hope that she does not serve not one day.
0: Yeah. Well, we got her back. Is horror. We got her back. And let me tell you just one more irony of this whole story. If it's true, that the probation office signed an official affidavit and it was incorrect. That means that they committed a crime. But the judge says no, 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 they were tricked because there's a good faith element that will create an immunity (laughs) for the crime. So if you did it in good faith, if you filled out a false affidavit in good faith, you can avoid prosecution. She filled out a registration, which is an affidavit in good faith, Based on the damn certificate that she got from the probation office. Anyway, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay.
2: You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a yeah, Sunday? You're, you're gonna still so free. Back off! I'm in trouble. Like, There's an African American man threatening my life. Hey, hey, hey go! Hey, you, you can get your money back. Hey. You ready? Are there people inside at all?
0: I would have gave her the keys and the code. <laughs> Here's how you get up in here. All right, let me let, let, me, let me give you the keys and the code. Uh, this particular Karen wants a refund uh, The the Burger King is on fire. The Burger King is burning down. Okay, <laughs> all of the employees are out of the facility because it is burning to the ground. She pulls up because she's demanding a refund. Let this be a lesson of what not to do when a building is on fire. One woman was visiting a Burger King drive through when the building started burning, fire alarms flaring, okay? The Burger King employees evacuated. Why? Because they're smart, she's not. All of a sudden, the woman in red car pulls up to the Burger King restaurant window and demands a refund. On her Burger King food and then she insults everybody. She goes on to berate them saying this is why you only make $13 an hour. One employee shouts back, we only make 10. (laughs) But still, you're not getting a refund. We bring this up often because there's this ugly classism in America where there are, and it really permeates in humanity, but it's really pronounced in America. Where there are individuals who feel as if you can just talk down to people who are in service industries. And remember, what you make, how much money you have, your education, your position at a workplace, that doesn't define you. That doesn't make you decent. That doesn't make you a person of value, of moral character, of integrity. None of that does, but there's a status class in this country of individuals like this, Karen, who as soon as something doesn't go the way they want it to go, they don't care that the building's on fire. They're not concerned if somebody's burning up. They don't give a damn about what inconvenience is taking place for others in that moment. She wants her $5 back for her. What is it? What is it now? at Burger King? I don't know. I haven't been a Burger King so long. Maria, what are your thoughts? You mean you you don't miss that char broiled charbroiled? Charbroiled, that's what it is. No, I, I don't. I think that was uh, chemically induced. It in, uh, in, anyway. <laughs> so
1: I guess you know what's hard for me when I see these videos um, is it's a side of this country again yeah. that I'm just like I. You know, I and people think people in New York are crazy. No <laughs> in New York, we would not be going into a burning building to get a refund on uh, burger King. So I'm just saying i it makes me very sad the whole idea that she would be coming back to try to get that amount of money returned, and then that she would be yelling at the employees and insulting them. Yeah, and you're right. One of the things we don't talk about in this country is class. But it is a way in which we are so divided and all of the messaging around class. That's right. Is that if you are of a, any kind of class that is not the super rich, there is something wrong with you and you are less than a human being. So this is just a, a sad reminder, Rashad. I mean, I'm laughing, but I'm also really sad.
0: Well, you have to laugh not to cry at much of this stuff. All right, we got more on the other side is indisputable stick and stay. Okay. Um you know we knew this would end up happening at some point. Militia allies have finally taken over one county in America. They have successfully done it. Let me bring your attention to California. It's a place called Shasta. Okay, nearly 53% of the county elected to recall, let's put his picture up, the supervisor Leonard Modi, who by the way, is known to be a sensible Republican. A Republican former Reading police chief following almost two years of threats and conspiracy theories over the board's pandemic safety measures. So basically, this guy was saying to his other guys, hey, you know, nobody stole an election. There's no extreme conspiracy theory of people who live on another planet coming to take us over. None of this is real QAnon. None of this is real militia group. So he was that guy, all right? Sensible Republican. So they outed him. They ousted him. Uh this feels very much to me like the Nazi Party. In the early 30s of Germany. That's what Mr. Modi, the sensible Republican, told the local television station. Where, you know, they came out with their brown shirts and they intimidated people, they bullied them into silence. I'm proud that I stood against anarchists, extremists, and white supremacists wanting to take over our country. As a lifelong resident of the county, I'm very concerned with this change in leadership. And its effect on our community. Damn, sounds like he's making good sense to me. But obviously, the conspiracy theorists, the QN people, the militia of his town thought otherwise. Modi, his family and supporters, faced threats from militia members and their allies, including <laughs> militia member and mask opponent Carlos Zapata over public health measures, and what some saw as insufficient support for gun rights, okay? Here's some of that video. I don't blame you for wearing
2: masks, because I'd be hiding my face too if I was you. I'm telling you right now, that right now we're being peaceful, and you better be happy that we're good citizens, that we're peaceful citizens. But it's not gonna be peaceful much longer, okay? And this isn't a threat, I'm not a criminal, I've never been a criminal. But I'm telling you that good citizens are gonna turn into real concerned and revolutionary citizens real soon that we're building, we're organizing. And we'll work with law enforcement or without law enforcement. But you won't stop us when time comes, because our families are starving. Because this is a warning for what's coming. It's not gonna be peaceful much longer. It's not gonna be rah rahs, it's not gonna be speeches. It's not gonna be gathered outside saying a pledge of allegiance. It's not gonna be waving flags. It's gonna be real. When you've seen the things that I've seen, I went to war for this country. I've seen the ugliest, dirtiest part of humanity. I've been in combat. And I never want to go back again. But I'm telling you what, I will to save this country. If it has to be against our own citizens, it will happen. And there's a million people like me and you won't stop us.
0: That man, his side won. Everything he said, he means. I believe that. Law enforcement in this country, leaders, community members, we have to take seriously these individuals, they are dangerous. Modi's ouster, the guy who's the sensible one, tips the majority of the five member board to a movement aligned with the Cottonwood Militia now. The militia now controls the local government. With his likely replacements as either construction superintendent Dale Ball or school board member Tim Garman. Who are separated by only 33 votes, and each of them celebrated their victory with known militia members of that local community. No matter how this works out, the militia is now in charge of one American jurisdiction, of one local government. They got one now. Okay, locked and loaded. Okay, let's put up a picture of the billionaire that funded the recall. It attracted the interest of Connecticut film producer who donated $450,000 to the recalls political action committee nearly two years after donating $100,000 to the campaign of the current supervisor Patrick Jones who celebrated Modi's ouster. The 60 year old spent years unsuccessfully battling the county in court because of business deals, all right, so now they are in control. This is how it starts. Maria, thoughts?
1: Um, so, we've actually interviewed somebody by the name of Mike German, who mm. was an FBI official yep. um, who actually infiltrated white supremacist and militia organizations in the 90s when he was a, an FBI agent. And he was so horrified by what he saw. He came back to the heads of FBI and he was like, look, we need to put a lot of attention into the militia groups, into the white supremacist groups. This is is a real problem for our country. And he basically got a lukewarm response from Mm -hmm. the FBI. And when I was trying to understand why, he said, look, the FBI in its majority is still white men of privilege. It's. I think at that point when we interviewed him, it was 70% white men at the FBI. So they look at members of the militia, for example, and they're like, "Oh, that's just Uncle Bob, that's just crazy Uncle John and that's just crazy Uncle Tony. They just go and do some crazy stuff in the woods and we don't have to worry about them. And what we're showing the reality is and what he said, which is the scariest part for me and then the part that as a journalist made my antennas go up, which he said, we are organizing, we are prepping, we are getting ready, we are studying. And this is exactly what I heard from uh, white supremacists in Reading, mm. uh, Pennsylvania in the mid 1990s. They were like, yeah, we're not gonna, we're gonna let our hair grow out. So you think we can call the skinheads, we're gonna let our hair grow out,
0: wow. we're gonna
1: get educated, we're gonna
0: infiltrate. And we're going to start taking over. And we just saw that. You know, and I'm also reminded that a DOJ memo went out years ago that said the number one threat to domestic policing is the uh, emergence of white supremacists in their ranks. We didn't take that report seriously. All right. um, I got a question for everybody. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie.
1: Now what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads.
2: I, never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. President Trump, without question, is the, he's the blackest president that we have ever had in this nation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. He is, yeah he is. I said. Oh, I said.
0: Okay. You know, um the things I would like to say I cannot say on television about that pastor nor his uh co-host on that particular program. But I will say this, uh obviously Donald Trump is not black at all. He doesn't want to be black. Stop claiming people that don't want to be you. Okay, he doesn't even say black. He says, the blacks, all right? That's how he refers to the group of African Americans in the United States. Now, if you look at the credibility of that preacher, who by the way is running for Congress. If you look at the credibility of this preacher, you will call into question anything he says. Let's go to the first video. You also claimed that you served six years in the army reserves. Is that accurate? Yes, it is. Okay, we called the army and they said that you
2: had no active army or I army was never Reserve part of Service. The, no, no, I wasn't part of the, the South Carolina National
0: Guard. There's more, here it is. Again, the bio that's on your website claims that you, you earned a bachelor of science degree. Did you make
2: that claim? I asked you just a moment ago as we were just opening up this and first of all, I said that we were off the record. I didn't okay. agree to that. Yeah, but I did, I did. And we're I, still rolling. I'm still asking you questions on the record. Did you, did record. you make that claim that you I'm graduated from North Greenville University? Because I think University? this is not fair that you, you, this is not fair at all. This is not what I agreed to. I thought we were doing a profile and all of a sudden you're here to
0: I'm try co- to destroy my I'm not, character. I'm not coming here, not here to destroy case. your character. This is a profile about your lying ass profile. Okay, Pastor Mark Burns, who is a very close ally and friend of the Trump whatever, became well known for his outspoken support of the 45th president announced that he was running for the Republican nomination for the South Carolina's fourth congressional district. According to Christian Post reporter, let me tell you why I highlight this dude. With all of his shenanigans. Number one, he still has influence and power with a lot of Christian evangelicals and some who are non religion, non religious, but still political. He's a charlatan. He's a bona fide charlatan. He created an entire persona, made money from it, got exposed, connected with the Trump campaign and the Trump surrogates and now makes more money. How did that happen, Maria? Thoughts?
1: You know, I I, I think about the fact that there is, um, you know, a lot of fascination uh, in terms of Latino and Latina voters that love Donald Trump. And how is that possible? And when people think that that or anyone can say something as ridiculous as Donald Trump loves Latinos or loves black people, many Latinos are black. And then you have to go to the reality, right? The reality is that Donald Trump began his presidential campaign by using hate speech against a particular people, in that case, my people. Mexican people. And so he if we you know in New York I don't know Rashad but in New York people in New York never took Donald Trump very seriously. One because people were watching his bankruptcies. Yeah. And in New York it's about your credibility and what you actually have. It's not about the you know just mm-hmm. the bells and whistles. So in New York nobody took him seriously and in New York people always knew what kind of a person Donald Trump was, somebody who hated black people and hated Mexicans, Latinos, Puerto Ricans. Why do we say that? Not we're making it up, look at the record of his own words. That's right. And so it's just very, it's heartbreaking to see people who are living in an alternate universe and that as you say sadly, have a lot of influence. That's what's sad.
0: Very sad, but my dear sister, you are not sad. You bring brightness, you bring light. I'm so thankful I had a great, great time with you. As we lectured the students of the University of Michigan. You're so insightful. I had a great time on your podcast, looking to be back. Tell people how they can follow you and check out all of your great work.
1: Oh, well, let's see. If you want to see me having a lot of fun, including boxing, because I box every morning <laughs> in my park in Harlem, nice. you can follow me on Instagram, Maria underscore La underscore Inahosa. Inahosa is H I N O J O S A and I'm on Twitter Maria underscore Inahosa. And my podcasts are Latino USA, In the Thick, be sure you listen to Suave because we're nominated for an International Documentary Association Award. Nice. This weekend, we're hoping we win, fingers crossed. And I lo- thank you so much, Rashad, it was so beautiful to be here with you. And I love our new collaborative friendship, so yes, love what you're doing. Here.
0: And I love what you're doing as well. Good luck to you with with this week and there's more to come, you know it. All right, appreciate you, Maria.